As we begin our second lesson this morning from God's Word, I want to begin by telling you about three different people. I want to tell you about three different people who have names that all start with the letter J. I want to tell you about Jack. I want to tell you about Jill, and I also want to tell you about John. I want to tell you about Jack and Jill and John. I want you to know that when it comes to Jack, there was a time in Jack's life when he had never been married. There was a time that when he was a single man for several years in his life, but one day, one day he met Jill. One day Jack met Jill and Jill had also never been married before and they started dating for a little bit. They fell in love and after about six months, they decided to get married. They decided to tie the knot. They decided to say, I do before God and many witnesses. They became a husband and a wife, but unfortunately, as time went by, they started having some problems. They started having some trials and some conflicts in their marriage. In fact, during their time of trials and conflicts in their marriage, they did like 50% of couples do in this country. They decided to get a divorce. They decided to end their marriage, and after doing that, Jill then, a, then met a man named John, and John had never been married before, and so they started dating for a little bit, and they fell in love, and they decided to get married. Now, that's the situation that I want you to think about for a little bit this morning. That's a situation that I want you to ponder on for just a little bit, and after you ponder on that, I want to ask the question, is all of this okay? Is all of this okay with God? Is all of this okay with the one who created marriage? Was Jack and Jill's divorce okay with the one who created marriage, and was Jill and John's subsequent marriage also okay and pleasing? to the one who created marriage. How would you answer that question as we try to sort through what is clearly a convoluted mess? I think it is important that we begin by first considering a very important question. And that question is, who's able to marry? Who is free to marry? Who is free to marry according to the word of God? Who is free to enter into this sacred relationship that was made by the Lord? As we seek to answer this very important question, let me begin by suggesting that the first answer to this question is pretty obvious. The first group of people who are free to marry according to the word of God are the unmarried. The unmarried. Now, when I say unmarried, let me be very clear. When I say unmarried, I'm talking about those who have never been married before. Those who have never been married before are free 
to Mary. That's the point Jesus is making in Matthew chapter 19. Going back to our scripture reading this morning in Matthew 19 verses 4 through 6. Notice how as Jesus addresses a very controversial question from the scribes and the Pharisees about marriage and divorce and who God allows to get a divorce. Jesus answers their question by taking them back to the beginning, right? He takes them back to the first book of the Bible. He takes them back to the book of Genesis. He takes them back to the Garden of Eden, and he talks with them about God's original intent for marriage. He tells the scribes and the Pharisees that God is the one who created marriage. God created marriage in the beginning, and when he created marriage in the beginning, he created it to be the closest relationship that two people can share in life. He created it to be a relationship where two people, a man and a woman, become one. They become one flesh. They are joined together by God in a relationship that is to last for a lifetime. That is exactly what Jesus means in a verse that is often overlooked. Matthew 19, verse 6. In Matthew 19, verse 6, Jesus says, What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. There when Jesus says that, when Jesus says, What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate, he is telling us that when it comes to marriage, God is the ultimate authority, not us. God is the one who created marriage, and therefore he's the one who has ultimate authority in marriage. People have no right to end a marriage without his authority. People have no right to get a divorce without his authority. Jesus says that God is the one who created marriage, and for those who may want to suggest that God only created marriage to benefit Christians, let me suggest that that kind of thinking does not line up with the Lord's teaching at all. It does not line up with what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 19. Going back to Matthew 19, notice how Jesus does not say that marriage came into existence when the church was established in Acts chapter 2. He does not even say that marriage came into existence once the children of Israel received the law of God at Mount Sinai. Instead, Jesus says that marriage came into existence all the way back in the beginning. It has its roots in the beginning. In the beginning, God created marriage. He created marriage not long after he created the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve. The implication of that is God designed marriage to benefit all mankind. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. And the Hebrew writer makes that point himself. In Hebrews 13, verse 4, there the Hebrew writer says that marriage is to be held in honor among who? Among all, A-L-L. When God says all, he means all. Marriage is to be held in honor among all. And the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral or the fornicators and adulterers. Paul makes a similar point to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 6 and verse number 9, when he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Don't get fooled by your culture. Neither the sexually immoral or the fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals. None of these people, according to Paul, are going to inherit the kingdom of God. That's what Paul told the Corinthians there. And then when you look at verse 11 of the same chapter, Paul tells the Corinthians, such were some of you. Some of you were fornicators. 
Some of you Corinthians were homosexual. Some of you Corinthians were idolaters. Some of you Corinthians were adulterers before you became Christians. Question, if marriage is designed to be only for Christians, then how in the world could these people be guilty of adultery before they became Christians? How in the world could they be guilty of violating something that wasn't for them in the first place. Clearly, the Apostle Paul is telling us that God doesn't just require Christians to submit to his standard for marriage, but instead he requires all people to submit to his standard for marriage. He requires all people to submit to God's law for marriage. Marriage is to be held in honor among all. And so if you're someone here this morning and you've never been married before, I want you to understand something. God says you have a right to get married. You have a right to get married. Now, can you just marry anybody you desire? No, you can't do that. But you can get married. You are free to marry. The unmarried, those who've never been married before, are free to marry. And so is the person whose spouse has died. The person whose spouse has died is free to remarry. And this is a category of people that I know for a fact that many of my brethren in this room, they, they fall into. I know for a fact in this room right now, we have widows and we have widowers. And if you are a widow or a widower, I want you to do something for me. I want you to think back to your wedding day. You remember your wedding day? I want you to think back to what took place on that day. Think back to how on that day you said to the person who was your spouse, you said some very important things. You made some very important promises. You promised on that beautiful and grand day to be with them how long? To death separate you, right? Isn't that what you promised? You promised to be together to death do you part. That's a very important promise because it's biblical. It's found in the scriptures. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 39, the Apostle Paul says a wife is bound. Remember that word bound this morning. Remember that word bound. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives. She's bound as long as her husband lives. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 2, Paul gives another similar thought when he says, For the married woman is bound. There the word is again. The married woman is bound by law to her husband as long as he is alive. But if he dies, she's released. She's released from the law concerning her husband. You see the point Paul is making? Notice how like the words of Jesus in Matthew 19 and verse 6, here Paul's making it very clear that God designed marriage to be a lifelong relationship. It is to be a lifelong commitment when death parts individuals, they're no longer bound, Paul says, and the survivor is free to remarry. The person whose spouse has died is free to marry. And so is the person who puts their spouse away for sexual immorality. The person who puts their spouse away for sexual immorality is free to remarry if they choose to. Jesus makes that point very clear in Matthew 19 and verse 9 when he says, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except, 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 for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Notice the clear implication from the Lord's words in that verse. 
Notice how there in that verse, the Lord is authorizing another marriage after divorce. He is implying that while it is clearly wrong for a person to divorce their spouse for a reason other than sexual immorality and marry another, it is also not wrong for a person to divorce their spouse for sexual immorality and marry another. According to Jesus, when an innocent person innocent person puts a guilty person away for sexual immorality, the innocent person is free to go and marry. They are free to go and remarry if they choose to. In fact, not only can they remarry, but so can those who are reconciling. You see, those who are reconciling have a right to remarry one another. Go back in your Bible again, and I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul deals with this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You know, while God certainly hates divorce, according to Malachi 2 and verse 16, and I can't emphasize that strongly enough, while God certainly hates divorce, unfortunately some people, even some Christians, could care less what God has to say. Unfortunately, some people, even some Christians, disregard God's desire and they participate in unlawful divorces. When that takes place, the Holy Spirit has some things to say to those people. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 10, Paul says, But to the married I give instruction, not I but the Lord. What that language Paul means is I'm not telling you something new. This is something that the Lord already addressed in his earthly ministry. He addressed this in Matthew 19 and verse 6. The rest, but to the married, I give instruction that I but the Lord that the wife should not leave her husband. That's Matthew 19 and verse 6. But if she does leave, if she does disregard what God says in that verse, she must remain what? Unmarried or else be what? Reconciled to her husband and that the husband should not divorce his wife. The same standard goes both ways. Notice how when a divorce takes place. That is not in accordance with Matthew chapter 19. The unlawfully divorced couple is not free to go and marry someone else. Neither one are free to go and marry another. But you know what they can do? They can reconcile and remarry each other. They can become husband and wife again. This principle could even be applied when a divorce takes place according to Matthew 19 and verse 9. You see, the prohibition of Matthew 19 and verse 9 is for the guilty person to go and marry another, not the innocent person. If the innocent person decides not to enter into another lawful marriage, that does not prohibit reconciliation of the original couple. The original couple can reconcile as long as the innocent person doesn't go and marry someone else who is free to marry in fact, this actually brings us to a second point that we really need to point out this morning. And that is, if we're really going to be able to comprehend all God has to say about this particular subject, then we need to understand something. We need to understand that there's a difference between people being married and people being bound. There is a difference between people being married and people being bound. Let me ask you a question. You ever notice how sometimes when a couple gets a divorce that the Lord does not approve of, some people will say this. They'll say, 
well, those people are still married in the eyes of God. You ever heard someone say that before? You ever heard someone look at an unlawfully divorced couple and say, well, you know what? They're still married in the eyes of God. Brothers and sisters, I want to suggest to you with every fiber of my being that that is just not right. That is not correct. That is not correct biblical terminology. What is correct biblical terminology is to say that that couple is still bound in the eyes of God. That's the right thing to say. They're not married in the eyes of God, or they are married in the eyes of God. They're just not bound. They're not bound in the eyes of God. The Apostle Paul, a skillful preacher, he makes this point very clear in Romans chapter 7. In Romans chapter 7, Paul goes back and forth by using the word bound and married. He says in Romans 7, verses 2 through 3, for the married woman is bound. Notice the word bound. Bound by law to her husband, to by law to her husband while he's living. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law concerning her husband. So then if while her husband is living, she is joined. Some of your translations don't say joined. What does it say? It says married. Same idea. So if while her husband is living, she is joined or married to another man, she should be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that she is not an adulteress, though she is what? Though she is joined or married to another man. Notice this woman Paul talks about here. Here Paul talks about a woman who is bound by God's law concerning her first husband, even though she's married or joined to another man. Paul doesn't say that she's not married to the second man. He doesn't say she's not joined to the second man. No, he says they're married. They are married. They're just not bound. She's married to the second man, but she's not bound to the second man. She is unlawfully with the second man. She's engaged in an unlawful marriage to the second man. In fact, it is because she's in an unlawful marriage. That's why she's called an adulteress. She is called an adulteress here because she is married to one man while still bound to the first man. She's still bound to her first husband. Paul clearly understood that there's a difference between being married and being bound. And so let's go back to Jack. And let's go back to Jill. Remember, after Jack and Jill got a divorce, Jill went, and she married John. She went and married John. She went and married a man who had never been married before. And our question was, was all of this right? Was Jack and Jill's divorce okay with God, who had bound them together in marriage? And was the subsequent marriage between Jill and John, was that okay with the one who created marriage? Well, based on what these scriptures that we've looked at this morning say, the answer to that is no. No, none of this was right. None of this was lawful in the eyes of God. Why was none of this lawful in the eyes of God? Well, for starters, none of this was lawful in the eyes of God because it violates what Jesus said in Matthew 19 and verse 6. According to Jesus, when Jack and Jill got married, God bound them together. He bound them together. Man didn't do that. 
God did it. God bound them together and they didn't have a right to tear that apart. They didn't have a right to sever that marriage. And since adultery was not involved in their divorce, both persons, when they got divorced, they were involved in unlawful divorce. That is an unlawful divorce these two people got involved in. As a result of being involved in an unlawful divorce, guess what? The subsequent marriage between Jill and John, it was also unlawful. It was also unlawful. Since Jill didn't have a right to divorce Jack in the first place, Jill also didn't have a right to marry another. That's the point Paul's making in Romans 7 and verse 2. Jesus makes the point also in Mark 10 and verse 12 when he says if a woman divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. John and Jill are in adultery. They're in adultery. Why are they in adultery? Well, they're in adultery because even though Jill is married to John and she's married to him, she's not bound to John. You know who she's bound to? Somebody tell me. She's bound to Jack. You said it. John's not bound to anybody. You know why? Because he's never been married before. But Jack and Jill, they're still bound. They're still bound to one another. And so Jill is now married to one man while bound to the law of God concerning another man. She's in adultery. In fact, to make this point even plainer, let's talk about this now. Let's understand that there are four different situations that you could be in when it comes to being married and bound. First, you could be the person who is both bound and scripturally married to the same person. That's what Paul talks about in Romans 7 and verse 2. The married woman is bound by law to her husband as long as he is alive. That's me and Genesia. We're married and bound. That's Dale and Pam. That's Rick and Peggy. That's Mike and Teresa. That's hopefully the vast majority of people in this room right now. That is what God wants for married people. That is what God wants for the people who've engaged in this important relationship. God wants them to be both bound and scripturally married to the same person. You could be that person, and I hope you are that person, but a second person you could be is you could be the person who is both bound and unmarried. You could be bound and unmarried to the person you're bound to. That's the person Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 10 through 11. Remember, in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 10 through 11, Paul says that if an unlawful divorce takes place, the two people can remain unmarried. They can remain unmarried, they don't have authority to go and marry someone else. Why? Well, because Romans 7 teaches that they're still bound to each other. They're bound to each other, and since they're still bound to each other, you know what that means? That means they can reconcile because they're bound to each other. And so one could be bound and unmarried. And one could also, one could also, and this thing is froze up on me here. I think I hit this thing too hard. One could also, I'll just say, be bound and unmarried while the former person is free to remarry. And that's Matthew 19. I'll say that again since it can't come on the slide. A person can be bound and unmarried while the former is free to remarry. 
Matthew 19 and verse number nine. You see, the prohibition, the prohibition for Matthew 19 and verse nine is for divorce to take place for a reason other than adultery. That's the prohibition of that verse. If a spouse, if a person's spouse cheats on them, the innocent person, listen to me carefully. The innocent person can put the guilty person away for sexual immorality. The innocent person can, if they choose to, go and marry someone else who's not bound to another person. Now the cheater, the cheater is still bound. The cheater is still bound to the innocent person cannot go and marry another. Matthew 19 and verse 9 is permissive for the innocent person. It is not permissive for the guilty person. Does that make sense? And so you could be bound and unmarried while the former is free to remarry. And then there's also one more incident we need to talk about, and that is you could be bound to your first mate while unlawfully married to your second mate. I'll say that again. You could be bound to your first mate while unlawfully married to your second mate. That is Romans. That's Romans 7 in the second part of verse number 2. And that's also this situation that we got going on here in Mark chapter 6. Will you go in your Bible, please, to Mark chapter 6? Go in your Bible, please, to Mark chapter 6. I want to show you something in Mark chapter 6. In Mark chapter 6, we have... An interesting situation going on here in the text. Do you remember what, good, what got John the Baptist killed in his time? Remember, John the Baptist was killed because he was preaching what I'm preaching right now. John the Baptist was killed because he went to Herod, the wicked king Herod, and he told him what the will of God was when it comes to this issue. The Bible says in Mark chapter 6 and verse number 17, for Herod himself has sent, and he had John arrested and bound in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, because, because he had what? He had married her. Notice, Herod and Herodias were married. They're married. But in verse 13, John said this. John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful. You're married, but it's not lawful you to have your brother's wife. Look at what's going on there in those verses. Look at what the Bible says about Herodias. Notice how Herodias is, is, is the woman from Romans 7. Notice how like the woman from Romans 7, Herodias is married to one man while still bound to another man, is she? She's married to Herod, but she is bound to Philip. She's married to one man, bound to another man. You know what that means? You know what that means? I would have had this on the slide for you, but you know what that means? That means going back to the slide, Jack. You remember how Jack looked? Jack is Philip. You remember how Jill looked? Jill is Herodias. And you remember how John looked? John is Herod. Jack is Philip. Herodias is Jill, and John is Herod. And so when Philip and Herodias got married, they were bound by God's law. They were bound by God. Evidently, their divorce was unlawful. 
And Herodias then, and she then goes and marry Herod. When she marries Herod, they are now in adultery because she's still bound to Philip, even though she's married to Herod. Does that make sense? That's the situation. That's the situation of what's going on there. Herodias is unlawfully married to Herod, but she's still bound to Philip. And since she's unlawfully married to Herod, you know what that means for the both of them? That means that according to Mark 10 and verse 12, they are both in adultery. They're both in adultery. And so what I just want you to see is there's a difference. There's a difference between being married and being bound. You could be a couple this morning that's both married and bound to the same person. God bless you. That's the way it's supposed to be. You could be someone who is unmarried and you're bound. You could be someone who's in a position where you have to remain single. You're still bound to your first mate, but your first mate is able to go and marry again if they, if they choose to. And you could be someone that's like Herod and Herodias, you're married to someone, but you're just not bound to them. You're in adultery. That's the situations that the Bible talks about. But here's the question. The question is, what can we learn? Let's talk about some application. What's some application we can make from a lesson like this? Well, can I give you four things? Four things that I want you to think about here. Four things I want you to take home. First, take this home and write this down. I'm going to have to go old school with you on it. Write this down. The first point of application is this issue we're talking about this morning. This issue is not really that hard to understand. This is not hard to understand. This is not the book of Zechariah, the book of Ezekiel, or the book of Revelation. This is not rocket science or chemistry. This is easy to understand. And someone says, well, wait a minute, Sean, I don't agree with that. Someone says, Sean, what are you talking about? This is very hard to understand. I mean, think about what you've been doing this morning. You're talking about Jack and Jill and Jill and John, and they get married and get divorced and get married to this person, all that. That's just confusing. That's just too much for me to get my mind wrapped around on a Sunday morning. Well, my friends, I certainly agree that these hypothetical situations that I've come up with this morning, they make us harder or they make us think harder than we would like to think on a Sunday morning. But please understand that, that that has nothing to do with God. That has nothing to do with the word of God. That has nothing to do with God's standard for marriage. You see, the teaching of God's standard for marriage is very easy and is very clear to understand. The problem, though, is secondly, the problem is, unfortunately, people put themselves in complicated situations. The problem is, unfortunately, that people either don't know God's standard for marriage or that they know it and they just completely rebel against it. The problem has nothing to do with God. The problem has to do with people. God's word is not complicated on this issue. The problem, though, is, is unfortunately people put themselves in complicated situations. And so how do we help people avoid getting in complicated situations? Well, here's the third thing. You know what we got to do? We got to teach. We got to preach. 
We got to be like John the baptizer. Remember, John the baptizer did not shy away from telling Herod the truth about marriage and divorce and remarriage. John did not shy away from telling a wicked and evil king the truth of God's word on this issue. And we got to be like John. We got to be bold and courageous when it comes to teaching on this issue, especially in a culture like we're living in today. I want you to know something. There are at least 30 other subjects that I'd rather preach on than this one right here. I want you to know that contrary to what you might be thinking, I didn't get up this morning excited to come and preach this to the Monta Vista Church of Christ. I didn't get up this morning and do a backflip and say, hey, Genesia, I get to go and preach marriage, divorce, and remarriage to the church. I was not excited about preaching this at all. There are 30 other subjects I'd rather preach about. I'd rather preach about God's love and grace and faith and humility and the needs to do, and the need to do good works. I'd rather preach about those things. you rather probably hear about those things, right? There's a lot of other stuff I'd rather preach about, but guess what? As a minister of King Jesus, I can't just preach about that stuff. I can't just preach about the stuff that makes us feel warm and fuzzy and good inside. I got to preach like the Apostle Paul. In Acts 20 and verse 20, you know what Paul told the Ephesian elders? He says that when I was among you for three years, I gave you the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God. That means Paul preached everything that God wanted him. Him to preach. Paul told Timothy to do the same thing in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. He says, You preach the word and you be ready in season and out of season and reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instructions. When Paul says, Preach the word and be ready in season and out of season, he's telling the young preacher, You preach God's word to people whether they want to hear it or whether they don't want to hear it. You always serve God first, you don't serve men first. You preach the whole counsel of God. That's my responsibility to you, but more importantly, that's my responsibility to God. While a subject like this one may not be the most pleasant to preach on in the public assembly, I gotta do it from time to time. I gotta do it from the pulpit from time to time. You know, one of the reasons why so many people are finding themselves in unlawful marriages is because they're not being taught what the word of God says about this issue. They're not being taught what Jesus says about it. They're not being taught what Paul says about it. Unfortunately, it is being assumed that everybody knows the truth about this issue already, and that is a horrible, horrible, horrible mistake. It is a horrible, horrible, horrible mistake to, to assume that our young people in the room right now have this topic mastered. It is a horrible thing to assume that our new converts in the room have this topic mastered. It is especially a horrible thing to assume that the people in the world who are not Christians have a good understanding on this matter. My dear friends, if we assume that, if we make the mistake of assuming that everybody knows what we know about this, you know what's going to happen? We are going to contribute to raising up a generation of people who are going to find themselves in a mess. We're going to contribute to raising up a generation of people that we that we falsely assume knew the truth about this. And they're going to wind up like Jack and Jill and John. We got to keep teaching. 
We got to keep teaching on this. In fact, beyond just continuing to teach on it, you know what else we got to do? Fourthly, we got to make sure we apply the teaching. And that what James tells us in James 1 and verse 22. Remember, James 1:22 says, be doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude or deceive yourselves. It's not enough for us just to know the truth about this. We got to apply this. We got to be doers of what God has to say about marriage. Let me tell you something. If we all just do what God says when it comes to this issue, we're not going to have anything to worry about later. That applies to us who are married. For those of us who are blessed to be married to the love of their lives, like I'm blessed to be married to the love of my life. If we're just faithful and true to our spouses, if we keep our vows, if we live what the Bible says and and treat our spouses the way Jesus tells us to, we're not going to have to worry about getting in complicated situations later. We're not going to have to worry about making a mess of things. We're not going to have to worry about becoming like Jack and Jill and John. And for those of you who are not married, and there are a lot of you in the room who are not married, for those of you who are not married, I want to tell you a couple of things. I want you to know, and listen carefully to me, you don't have to get married to go to heaven. You don't have to get married to go to heaven. There are a lot of servants of God in the Bible who did a great job serving the Lord and doing God's will, and they were not married. Great example of that is the Apostle Paul. Another one, John the Baptist. You don't have to get married to go to heaven. But if you choose to get married, understand this. God wants you to choose wisely. You need to choose wisely. You need to choose to marry somebody that you can scripturally marry. You need to choose somebody who will help you go to heaven. And you need to be committed in that relationship to death separates you. Don't violate what Jesus says in Matthew 19 and verse 9. And I know, I know there's a lot more we can say about that this morning. I get that. But for now, I just want you to understand something, okay? For now, I want you to understand that God created marriage. And he has a standard for marriage. His standard is designed to bring him glory. It's designed to keep us out of sin. It's designed to keep us holy. It is designed to prevent Satan from tearing up our families and making our lives difficult. One more verse, John 12, 48. Jesus says, the words I speak to you are going to judge you on the last day. Notice how on that last great day when we stand before King Jesus, we are not going to be judged by the standards of culture. We're not even going to be judged by our own personal standard. Instead, we will be judged by the standard of Jesus. We're going to be judged by his standard when it comes to marriage, divorce, and remarriage. We're going to be judged by his standard when it comes to worship and daily living. And we will also be judged by his standard when it comes to the plan of salvation. And so with that being said, let me ask you, have you submitted to his plan of salvation? Have you done the things that he requires to become part of his bride, which is the church? If not, then you have an opportunity to do that this morning. This morning you have an opportunity to believe in Jesus and repent of your sins and obey his commandment to be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you do those things, he'll bring you into his bride, the church. And if we can help you with that in any way at all, come to the front right now as we stand and we sing.